To listen to this episode and all previous deep dives, buddy dives, and dive master interviews without commercial interruption, please subscribe and listen at Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Monica Perez, and here with me today is Taryn Gregson, host of the Faithful Freedom Podcast and former PGA Tour reporter who lost her job because of her convictions at the height of the covid I'm eager to hear her story, so strap on your tanks. We're going deep with a dive master. Hi, Taryn. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to talk to you. I can't wait. Thank you for having me on. I'm honored to be a dive master. Yes, you are a dive master, (laughs) specifically because you have this professional background, this professional training, and I absolutely love it when people with real, like, professional-level skills, whether it's in the media or lawyers or whatever, turn their attention to the good fight because you can really tell a quality difference and it's easier to reach people. You really get to the point. You have a nice way of speaking. Like it's so much more effective than like a lot of the people in the old world, the people who basically established podcasting really had to learn how they learn as they went and had to really invent an industry. But when you can adapt those professional tips that people who have been in big media for decades can impart to you, it's such a benefit to us. So you are a master and I'd love to hear that part of your story first, like your background, your bio, your career, you know, the the back stuff. Absolutely. And just to play off too about what you just said, I love to see though, you know, quote unquote, everyday people getting into the podcasting world because I forget who just published an article recently about how so many trust fund babies are basically in media and broadcasting nowadays. And, and when you have that, you know, a journalist is supposed to be the voice of the people. And if you're a trust fund baby, which, you know, they're born into that. They can't pick who they're born into. But if you can't level with what the real issues are and what people in everyday life are going through, like, how can you really be a good voice for them? So that's true. And there's there's no money in it. Like there's Mm -hmm. really, it's very hard to make any, to even like pay the bills of what it costs to have a high quality product. So it really eliminates a lot of people. So it is, a it, it, that's why when you can tell it's a labor of love, people want to save the world. There are also only limited hangouts also. So anybody who hits the ground or like has 50,000 YouTube subscribers overnight, I'm like, really? And I'm like, how did that happen? That is a hard (laughs) thing to get done. But for the most part, I do think that's what people are doing and it's fantastic. And I even like to talk to people who aren't in media. Yesterday, I did like a two-hour marathon interview with a lawyer who, um, a guy named Anthony Raimondo, who was up in Fresno. He was just helping companies that, uh, like restaurants and stuff that stayed open when they weren't supposed to. And Mm -hmm. he was just doing it by following the process of like regulatory enforcement. He's like, oh, they didn't fill this paperwork out right. You don't have to close until they do. And they're closed, so they're not going to fill it out. Well, and I just wanted to hear his how one person can make a difference to one person. And then that can even go on. So I do feel like it's a very hopeful that we have the grassroots of it all. And, and your organization, like when you're working with uh, We the Patriots, which my listeners are familiar with, so we're going to get to that in a little bit. But, you know, I'm sure when you were aspiring to be a broadcaster, you didn't think that you would have to make a public break with that, you know, with the mainstream of that industry. 
No, absolutely not. And, you know, I'll dive into my background like you asked me to before I got us off topic. Yeah, no, but, you're right. It's, um, the, it's the white pill is, is the hope. Yes, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, I've been in sports broadcasting for over a decade. And, you know, whenever I got into it, the pinnacle of that was, you know, working for an ESPN or a Fox Sports or someone like that on a national level. And I was fortunate enough to work my way up to working for the PGA Tour, which is a which is a global uh, a global sports league. So working for them at, at the highest level um, of my career up until this time last year is when everything <laughs> unraveled yeah. for me. Um, so I, I worked for all sorts of sports teams and I did work Fox Sports Regional and CBSSports.com until I made my way up to the PGA Tour, which I worked for them as a broadcaster for them for six years until everything started unraveling last year around this time. And, um, you know, I went through all of the religious exemption processes and I'm, I was pregnant at the time that all of this was happening as well with our second child. Um, just had, he's six months old now. So <laughs> and is he fantastic? He is fantastic. You know, no, in no way would I ever take back what happened. And yes, you know, I want to get the details on that, mm -hmm. and I will before you say that. When I I have uh, three kids, and when I was pregnant, my my first son, and and there's one episode of yours, episode 22, I actually could not listen to because my first son has Down syndrome, and he mm -hmm. uh, is 20 now, so he would have been the same age as the um, as girl who died, yeah, mm -hmm. and. I really couldn't listen to it, so I don't even know her name. But um, and people like dismiss the value of those lives because they're taken, you know, as a negative. So mm -hmm. people don't understand how like devastating that would be for something like that to happen. But I remember when I was pregnant, you wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't have a glass of wine. You wouldn't smoke a cigarette, which would have virtually no impact on the child at all. And people would, if I just wanted to, like, I have a glass. So I never, with my first child, not a single sip of wine, not a drag of a cigarette, nothing. And if you did, like with my later pregnancies, once I had a child with Down syndrome, I was like, well, it obviously, like, you know, nothing, having a glass of wine isn't going to really do that. So I would have a glass of wine later and my other pregnancies and people would look at you like you were at the worst form of life, like something got stuck on their shoe. And, uh, you know, you just could not do something like that in public. And I, and it's just like so crazy to me that people will do genetic, you know, untested genetic things, um, have like the, you know, even the masks, I know remdesivir does stuff to your kidneys, but mm -hmm. the mask too, like that, you're not supposed to breathe your own waste. It's like, makes no sense. And people would be so freaky about their pregnancies. And now I'm just like, are you kidding? Like that was all just blind faith in some guy in a white coat. Like that's all it was. Um, so, so I completely understand why you would take no chances under the circumstances, but what was it that they were asking to do? Did they, did you have to have a religious exemption for the vaccine? Like what was their story? Yes. So I'm based here in Florida. So obviously that has contextual importance to this whole story. Um, most people are familiar with, with how, uh, loose the regulations were down here during that time. And so I had to go through the religious exemption process for the vaccine Partway through that, you know, they had once they had already put the pressure on for everyone to get the vaccine and, you know, they weren't really saying outright whether or not people were going to get um, 
fired or not, if they were going to get the vaccine, everything was very, um, we didn't know what was going on. Right. So there was a most people got it just because they felt the pressure, even without knowing what the end result was going to be. Right. But I went through the religious exemption process for that step. As that's happening, you know, they, they tell us partway through, okay, we're not going to fire people if you don't get the vaccine. Um, you know, that's after we're already going through the exemption process, but we are going to require you to wear masks and to get tested weekly. And we are in Florida at that point. There are no masking. Um, you know, you go anywhere else, go to the grocery store, go anywhere else besides what my workplace is saying. No one would be wearing a mask. I, I want to interject. I met a doctor who worked on a study for the Cleveland Clinic, I think it was. There was a team, and they gave DeSantis the lowdown of what would work and what was good and economically and health-wise mm -hmm. and all of that. And they said he was the only governor who really listened, and he implemented what they had recommended. So it wasn't – I mean, I'm sure it was political, but but it was based in, in, a, in the medical advice Absolutely. It was based on medical advice. And we had already, this is fall of last year of 2021. So we were already seeing that the data from the states that were in, that were, you know, requiring masks versus states that were not. And we already had plain as day showing that it had no effect on, you know, how people, how many people were contracting or spreading COVID. You know, we understood by that point that masks had no effect on any of this. You know, to this day, I still don't think we know what sort of effects it would have on someone to be taking, doing these tests, these COVID tests on a very regular basis, which was what they were asking to do. Um, and they were only asking, it was, it was very much a discriminatory process. It's only those that were not vaccinated that they were having do this. And uh, there is a surveillance element, whether it's mm -hmm. connecting your DNA or whatever, but they can look up that stuff all gets uploaded to a database. And I mean, who knows what implications, their inferences they'll draw from that. Absolutely. It all, the tests were going to be, you know, submitted to the health department was somehow going to get their hands on this information. Like it was going to be in public databases. I'm in California. Um, I mean, that's, that goes straight up. Like they can find yeah. everything straight up at the top. No consent required. If you're just like some, you know, really, I think almost any, I don't know if it's any doctor, but my doctor said he could just pull up everything I ever did like that. And I just like, wow. I know. It's it's so crazy how much they can track you with all of it. And so I, you know, submitted for a religious exemption from the masking and the testing. I, you know, there are several places in the Bible that that, you know, frankly, put down covering your face and that, you know, those people are seen as doing something wrong as, you know, less than in society when you're covering your face. We're, we're meant to, you know, show our light to others. That's the whole point in being believers and, and Christ followers is to share our light with others. And we had, go ahead, yeah, we had no idea what the effects of wearing masks all day long. I'm pregnant. I did not think... I mean, just as not a, as a doctor, to me, that doesn't seem like it would be a healthy thing to do. And then later, you know, I start talking to people that are in the PPE industry. There are professionals that, you know, like Megan, um, Megan Kelly and, and, and all those, those uh, professionals. And they're telling me that there is mounds of data that, totally. that says yeah. that it's not, that it's not good. So for me, that, that also. And not effective. Like, 
Neither yeah, and not effective. effective. So <laughs> it hits me from all different points of the religious exemption um, standpoint and that I'm supposed to be protecting my child and I'm supposed to be a light to others. Yes, I, I, my, I've, was pursuing a religious exemption for my son in high school, which they ended up just allowing you to check a box. I think they got some kind of like high level person pushed back on them within their community. I really don't know, but I was prepared. And what we just said to them orally, we didn't have to write it down, was that like fundamentally we had a medical concern about my son. And I mean, I have other reasons too, but we really like it that we weren't going to be able to get to, I'm sure, I had no hope whatever of a doctor saying that he should be exempted for medical reasons just because of how political that became. But for me, I said, look, it's, I, it is unconscionable to me. Like I cannot um, in good conscience give my consent. Like I'm required to consent to this and I cannot in good conscience. So if you're telling me to do something against my conscience, that's what we're doing here, which mm-hmm. is duress, and I'm not permitted. You can do it. You can take the sin away from me, but in good conscience, I have a responsibility here, and I can't do it. And and I actually thought that was a great a great answer because it doesn't have to be anything specific about my faith. Although I had, I did write, and Brian Festa was like, put that, you know, I'm glad you got that out, but put it in an envelope and don't give it to anyone. I wrote like an eight page, like, you know, these are the 10 reasons Catholics should not be doing this, you know? Yeah. And like ultimately it's also the conscience, like the Catholic church, it like, is. you cannot do anything against your conscience, even if it's like the Catholic teaching. Now Catholics will tell you the teaching's always right, but I'm just saying like, I had so, it was funny because Brian was just like, no, don't give them that. I'm like, okay, okay. But still, uh, so yes. And to me, it's good enough to say that you consulted your conscience mm-hmm. and found that you could not in good conscience do it. And I, I agree with you totally. I, I don't, I feel bad. I see people wearing a mask. I'm like, oh, take that off. <laughs> Are yeah. you concerned about your health? Like I went to my gym and they were just like, you need to wear a mask because you're unvaccinated or whatever. And I said, Aren't you concerned about your health? For health reasons, I can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Whether or not, yeah, you know, for health reasons, just walking around and then adding on the layer of working out in the gym while you've got a mask. I know. I was like, what? you people are crazy. <laughs> I know. Well, hey. And all the going, chemicals. The chemicals they spray on everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, this place is totally unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Get outside and work out. Absolutely. You're in California. I mean, Get outside and work they out. They require it. They require, yeah, yeah, they wouldn't allow it. They Actually, the gym said we're trying to hold classes outside in the park across the street and the local government won't allow it. That's so they were crazy. Literally trying to bring that and the and the private owner went bankrupt and had to sell to the corporate overlord. Not sell, mm-hmm. they just reverted the franchise. I mean, so we can't get into like the nefarious um intentions or at least outcomes of all of this, but yes, so you weren't willing to do that because it was, you know, not your health choice and yeah, it, it was not happened. my religious choice. It was not my oh, yeah, right. belief system choice. It was right. not my health choice. And it was discriminatory, bottom line. I mean, why is it that my vaccinated coworkers can come to work without having to take a test, without having to wear a mask, but yet I have to? And again, this is this time last year. There was plenty of evidence that this was not; these were not working by this. And time you were willing to continue year. to work from home, right? I was. So that's the other layer to all of this. So I had been working from home. Um, I set up a home studio. That's kind of what I'm in now. Obviously, I've changed it into my podcasting yeah. studio. But I had a home studio for the PGA Tour here. I had been doing 
um, all of my studio work, which was my primary responsibility was studio work for the PGA tour for 19 months from home for 19 months. And then all of a sudden they decided November of last year, no, I had to come into the office or I was going to get fired. And, you know, I, I, only had um, a couple more months in my pregnancy left. I was like, hey, you know, as a part of, for those listening, as a part of a religious exemption, you know, you're supposed to, it's supposed to be a negotiation process that both sides are supposed to come together to find a solution to, you know, work around and honor those beliefs, that belief set. Well, the ACA would require Mm -hmm. that, right? Isn't that the American with Disabilities Act or whatever, ADA, that you, if you can accommodate reasonably somebody's specific, you know, if you're pregnant or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they said that, they said that my request to work from home was not a reasonable accommodation, that it was an undue burden on the PGA tour, which um, again, I had been working from home for 19 months prior. So why all of a sudden is it an undue burden? They added the layer in that, you know, occasionally I'm supposed to travel for work. I had traveled um, during those 19 months a few times for work, um, you know, for them. And it was, it wasn't a big deal. That was fine. And, and then, um, you know, they said, well, what about in the future here at, you know, usually I start to travel, usually travel dies down around November and December and the PGA tour schedule, you know, gets very, um, there's not a lot going on. And then in February, particularly is when things start to ramp back up. But by that time that that schedule ramps back up, I was going to be too late in my pregnancy to be able to travel, right? You're not supposed to travel past like 32 weeks. So literally we were coming up on the dead time where I wasn't going to need to travel. There was hardly any events going on for me to cover. And all we had to do was get through like two more, two and a half more months of my pregnancy from me working at home to then just see what happens after that, right? You know, we everything was supposed to be like, let's just keep going with the flow and what's and what's happening but they said no and and they and they fired me so. why why would they say no to that there must have been a reason that either pressure or somebody was just uh you know felt it was a pissing contest like what was it do you think yeah it really did feel like it became kind of a personal um scenario at that point for anybody who had gone through a similar experience that I did. Unfortunately, way too many people went through the same experience that I did, you know, across, yes. across. I got the a lot US. of emails like that. Yeah. It was really heartbreaking. People who, you know, aren't going to have a public platform for that. Mm-hmm. I read numerous articles about your situation uh, online. New York Post was okay. You know, didn't have a bad one. Pro Golfer Magazine. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see that oh. one. Oh, I saw that a couple of times. I can't believe it. Um, it was... It was completely in your pro golf weekly. I felt I I was amazed. It says um, PGA tour fires pregnant employee who sought religious exemption from COVID vaccine reporter Taryn Gregson was fired by the PGA tour for refusing to follow the organization's COVID protocols that are meant to embarrass and isolate unvaccinated employees. That's the opening paragraph in this. So pro golf weekly, I'm totally getting my husband a uh, subscription to that for Christmas. I need to reach out to them because they actually got the full story. I mean, uh, you know, the USA today, they, their golf writer put out, um, you know, it wasn't favorable to me. You know, I wouldn't even read that one. I read light. the New York Post yeah, and absolutely. I read this one. Yeah. <laughs> Most people, you know, the tour had their, um, had, you know, obviously they're trying to, you know, cover their tracks. And, and unfortunately, like I'm not the only one for the PGA tour that was, that was fired. You know, there were several of us that were, oh, so good. I'm not the only one. Who else? Um, that you stood up and said no. And, um, 
But for anybody who's gone through this or who went through it with the mandates, I mean, it's a grueling back and forth process, right? I mean, for me, there were on numerous emails going back and forth, you know, Zoom calls at the end, I was mostly just wanting to do everything through email to have it documented, you know, what was being said back and forth. And it's hard, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of my pregnancy. And I'm at three in the morning, up at night, thinking about how yes. I'm supposed to respond to them, yeah. trying to do it in a respectful and nice manner when you feel you frankly feel attacked the entire time all of this is happening, your belief systems being attacked, you feel like you're being ostracized because of what you believe. And that's exactly what was happening. And it's, it is hard emotionally. And, you know, I don't want to play a victim here because like I said, so many people went through this. Um, But yeah, by the end of it, you really feel like you're targeted. And me specifically, I I did feel like I was targeted because um, I was told that I was no longer allowed to work from home. I had to come in. And if I did come in and I didn't follow those protocols. If I didn't get tests, you know, do the testing before or whatever, I was basically going to be escorted out and like fired on the spot. And so I didn't, my hands were tied, right? They kind of put me in a bad position, but come to find out the week that they were telling me, you know, if I didn't, that I was going to get fired, if I didn't do these things and come in, well, my, the rest of my team was granted permission to work from home for you know, the foreseeable future for the next several weeks. But for some reason, I wasn't. So yes, wow. it can feel very personal. And in my experience, I've had COVID twice. I really didn't, I know people didn't like the testing and some people like, would never, ever get a single test. I don't, I don't really care about that. I get that there's uh, a, there's elements to it that I don't like, but I just didn't have the energy for that fight and I did a couple of tests and other people in my house, some people are vaccinated, some people aren't, took tests and take tests. Uh, so I noticed the pattern and this is California where there was like real mandatory testing. Like, I mean, you would just drive down the street. Anytime there was an urgent care, you would just see the lines around the corner. Maybe mm-hmm. that was true everywhere, but here it was like crazy true. And in my experience, every single, it's kind of like a pregnancy test. If you take it like too early, it comes out negative. Like, mm-hmm. and by the time it comes out positive, you already know you know, something's yeah. different. So in my experience, like it, it was, people would say, my husband was like, oh, this guy tested positive. Um, everybody on the trip has COVID. And it was like, well, when did he test positive? After mm-hmm. he got it, right? And by then, you guys were all on the trip together and everybody got it. Like it just, the the, the testing, I, if they were ever to actually do any valid studies, I would suggest that like the masking, the testing did not, uh, not to mention the inaccuracy. I'll, I'll get like, I'll say something like this and I'll get so many comments or emails like, yeah, you know, this isn't real. That isn't true. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But I'm yeah. just saying, I just try to live in the world and observe what, you know, in the context of what other people are taking for granted. And I would say whether they're accurate or not, I would argue that I would bet, I would put money on it that neither the masking nor the testing made any difference whatsoever. And I think you could just look at the experience of California. I mean, New York was probably the same way. California, which my kids never had colds. They go visit my family in the Northeast. They get sick every single time. There's no colds when they when when they were little kids, they lived out here. Now that they're teens, we live out here again. Never got colds. And so when it came, I was like, I'm not worried at all. Like, we, anytime we've ever lived in California, we do not get sick. And 
everybody got sick all the time. Not mm-hmm. not necessarily my house, but like people. And then then I that's when I knew it was real because it's like people are actually getting sick. And that was mm-hmm. right when the vaccines rolled out. So I actually think that that was why everybody started getting sick. But um, but yeah, yeah and like, I had I, I had it, it helped. I had I had COVID in August of last year. So, so I had the so you weren't immunity. even eligible for the vaccine when you got fired. Mm-hmm. It's ninety yeah. days. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it, did you I was mention like, that? Did you I was right on that? the? Well, I had told. Yeah, I told them multiple times that I wow. had COVID, and they were not giving any, you know, exemptions for people that had, you know, natural immunity. That's or anything crazy like though, that. because it can and, really injure you to get that vaccine mm-hmm. too close to having had that. Well, by COVID. that time, it was mostly us talking about the masking and the testing, right? Which the testing, you're, you know, you still, everybody knows that wasn't going to be accurate either right. in, for the 90 days. Well, because that's what they say. Don't test. Mm-hmm. Now they're saying don't test within 90 days. Yeah. And, the, and also, you know, by this time in Florida, we were, I, I'm not going to get my timeline correct. So don't quote me on this, but you know, it was, it was around like September or so or October that it was spiking here in Florida um, it, with the Delta variant and everything. And so I had numerous people, you know, my neighbors, multiple people that I knew that were vaccinated that were, that were getting COVID by this point too. So like we were yes, already yes. knowing at yes, this point. Yes, the whole thing. The whole thing yeah. was crumbling by then. The whole yeah. thing. And when I'm talking about like this, this worked, this didn't work, people got to peel. I'm talking about what is actually being acknowledged by the authorities out here. Mm-hmm. Like they, at one point they yeah. were like, if you have it, don't test for it. Yeah. Don't <laughs> test if you have it. Don't test yeah. 90 days after you have uh-huh. it. Like it was crazy. Like people who didn't have it had to quarantine longer than those of us who did. Like in my house, like I had it and I had to quarantine for 14 days yeah. and my kids had to quarantine for those 14 days and then 14 days after that like it was just crazy but but these but it all was changing because Mm -hmm. of course they didn't use the precautionary principle that they espouse with climate change and everything else they jumped to conclusions because they knew that they would not bear out and they wanted to have these policies in place while they could last but you know the dominoes would just catch up and now you know and people are still fighting old fights Mm-hmm. I can't even believe they still. So if you if they if they have a vaccine mandate now, you have to like go back and get the original ones. Even though there's, I believe it's like the CDC and the FDA, like they don't work. They yeah. don't work. Like that strain has passed. It's like if you went for a flu shot and they're like, you need to get like six other <laughs> flu shots. It's I know. Like, not that it, I would ever get a flu it's, shot. It's crazy. And yeah, so I ended up I got fired in no, at the beginning of November last year, and then um, by the time I believe it was January or February, the tour had already dropped all of their COVID Gosh. protocols by that point. Wow. So, but and that's all I was asking. Again. That's all I was asking for was, hey, can yeah. we just hold on for a couple more months to see what happens? Turns out if we would have done that, I would have still been employed by the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kept kicking that can too. I kept wondering about like the Novavax. Not for me, I, I sure. have no interest in any of it, but there were people who were like, look, I'm doing it. And and I was like, just wait. If you could just wait, like they yeah. might have one that looks like not so um, experiment, like slightly less experiments, mm-hmm. like please, please. And and I know, I know four people... I know two people already died, and I know other people severely, severely injured. I know um, a pregnant woman who they 
like some of the stuff that you talk about in your show, really mistreated because mm-hmm. she was unvaccinated, really mistreated, like took the baby early, oh. gave her, you know, she showed up at the hospital, they gave her remdesivir, she crashed, they took the baby, they put her in a coma. I mean, you know, the baby wasn't allowed to be with the family. It's heartbreaking now. Thank God they survived. I wanted her to name oh. the baby Hope, you oh. know? Yeah. But oh, so she did, they survived. Oh, praise thank the Lord. God. Yeah. yeah. So some That's of the so stuff good. that yeah, I can't listen to. My husband and I, that we opted to do a home birth with our second child because just, you know, that's definitely one of the layers for that. Yeah. And could you ever have imagined, I would never have considered a home birth before this whole thing. No, no. I mean, even, even, you know, people, even still, um, during all of this, people are like, I get it, but really you're doing that? (laughs) That hurt or what? I accidentally had natural (laughs) childbirth once and I like literally wrote it down on a piece of paper. I'm like... I know it felt like it was better afterwards, but don't forget, like, not worth it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was one of one of the hardest and coolest things I've ever done. Yeah, I was focusing on the hardest for future reference. (laughs) It was the coolest. I mean, like, within an hour, we were just the baby and I were just like, oh yeah, everything's great. And like the other way, you're like three days, you're just like, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was thankfully, you know, I went into labor at about 11, 11 p.m. And he was here by about 6.30 a.m. So I, I didn't have too long okay. of, a, of a go. Tough yeah. Night. yeah, I did. And I will say I, I had a very tough labor with my first son who had Down mm-hmm. syndrome. And sure. that would not have been uh, successful if I was yeah. at home. So mm-hmm. I don't, I, I am like, I, I would love to be in the state of nature, but there are complications that Absolutely. modern medicine can help you out with. So that was... Um, that I did had such a great doctor, but, uh, so, all right. So, so then they, they lifted that and here's the thing. So now, even if you were right and everybody could acknowledge that, if you could write your timeline down and explain what you just explained, you will never work in mainstream media again, right? No, probably not. Yeah, probably not. That's why, you know, (laughs) Although Allison Williams, who is, it, people might be familiar with her, a sideline reporter, she's now working. Um, she was fired by ESPN during their mandates. She's now working for Fox Sports. She's I was just sidelines. about to say, maybe Fox. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she was, I just saw her yesterday, uh, yesterday on a college football sideline doing sidelines. Oh. But, you know, she very yeah. much, she did, she's doing a series for the Daily Wire about COVID and sports and, and you know, how that was handled by athletes and sports organizations. So so she played it kind of neutral there, but yeah, I've, I've, since I've dove into the freedom movement, I don't know that anybody will take me. (laughs) Well, but now that, that I think about it, I mean, there are two wings and there is an opportunity for, there's so many people Mm -hmm. who are way to it. Like the whole uh, MAGA crowd, like I totally think Trump was set up, but I love the people who, you know, were, enervated by, you know, galvanized by his um, Mm -hmm. calls to action, everything like that. So I'm very happy that those people would stand up against this and they were active and they do have, like, there are those networks. Um, I think my mother listens to uh, One America News and Mm -hmm. Newsmax and Fox. I never watch TV news, but when I go to visit my mom, like, it's just a constant (laughs) stream. So people would like you for that. You know, working with We the Patriots USA, it's a 
501c3 nonprofit. Yeah. You know, we are, they're not a political organization. I myself, you know, I am not registered for any party. Yeah. You can go look me up. It's yeah. public record in, in the state of Florida. You know, I'm not registered for any party. I'm just, I'm just here to try and find answers, to follow the truth yeah. and to, you know, go with what the best policies go with smaller government, you know, those things like I'm not here to be um, on one party or the other. And I think that you and I align on on that, yeah. too. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like I, I do vote. I, I try to vote for Ron Paul in the primaries. So if I have to register, I will register because mm-hmm. I love Ron Paul. But um, but even that, like I just I feel like we're in a post ideological world mm-hmm. where if you could just have anyone operating in good faith exactly in any any field academia media politics like the three things that do nothing but influence everyone it just makes me insane and if any of them has good i don't care if you make an argument of like socialism like i think collectivism is like the true nature of man I'm like you're wrong but like at least you're you know it's an ideology that you can articulate it's not just corruption and deception exactly. it's the deception that really gets me the deception mm-hmm. at the top so so you're now putting your talents to work on a podcast and is, does it also have video? Do you do the video yes. on just we, the Patriots or, you know, where, first let's just say, where can people find you? And then oh, let's hear about what you are, what your goals are. Oh yeah, well, absolutely. You just that. Faithful freedom with Taryn Gregson presented by we, the Patriots USA new episodes each Wednesday. And you can watch us on rumble, Odyssey, Bitshoot, Brighteon. We're going to be on all those places. You can hear, you can listen to us too on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Audible, you know, all the major players. We're on all of it. We post occasionally on YouTube, but we keep getting strikes. So um, yeah. we're not as, we're not very active on YouTube. And they, they take, every time we get hundreds of thousands of views on, on um, our videos, they take them away from us. So, <laughs> yes. So, so you do, so you have hundreds of thousands of views like overnight. How did that, how do you, how do you attribute just because people knew who you were, were following your story or. No, I think that people were just enamored to hear from, I think people actually picked up on what our guests were saying and that's how the, how how those particular episodes caught fire. I really can't take credit for any of it because, you know, I, this is, I've never, I came from sports. I didn't come from the health freedom movement or, or anything like that. So I feel like a lot of people, um, but then again, you know, a lot of people were waking up to what was happening and wanted answers. But the one episode, I think it was our third episode was with two employees from Bristol Myers Squibb um, inside Big Pharma that were getting fired also for the mandates. And so they had a very informed reason why they were not going to comply with the mandates. And so I think that really resonated with a lot of people. And that was one that really shot up for us. Um, You know, Dr. Peter McCullough came on and was talking about pregnant women. I was pregnant at the time talking to him that not too much had been talked about at that time around January, I believe last year right? when he came on. So I think it was more just the guests giving people information that they were desperately hoping to get, but we're, we're only getting it on very few places. Right. So when your the name of the podcast is Faithful Freedom. So it's not, it's not just about health freedom. It's, it's, 
probably about a philosophy. Do you, can you articulate kind of your, I, I hear what you're saying, like it's not about the party or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there basic tenets of, um, you know, how society should be organized, how, what you think, what you want from government, what you hope to, um, you know, what you hope your listeners will get out of the work that you're doing? Absolutely. I want to show people that there are so many everyday people. So whether we have someone like um, a Robert Malone or a Steve Dace on our show that most people are familiar with that are fighting for the truth, that are fighting for freedom, um, whether it's people like that or it's everyday people like, you know, those from Brazil working at Bristol Myers Squibb, or we have military personnel that are coming on um, that are about to get laid off due to the mandates, or we just had um, Gail Sellier come on telling her story about how she had to break herself, her husband oh my came, gosh, and that was broke crazy. her out of the hospital. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're just trying to tell people's stories so people... We can document, you know, what has been happening. And so people can learn from that. And then, you know, we have we have researchers and doctors and scientists that are coming on and, and saying what they're seeing. And I also the big theme behind season two is where do we go from here? So when I have some of these doctors on to talk about what they're seeing with the COVID and the data and things like that, I'm also talking to them about ways forward. How do we live a healthier and more informed life, you know, moving forward, how we can achieve real informed consent, how we can um, be true advocates for ourselves as patients. And um, it's also fun to talk about how people are reinventing um, different markets out there. So a lot of these doctors are reinventing and, and trying to get away from this corporate medical model and really actually put the patients at the front of things and not um, big corporations and big pharma and big dollars. So really what I'm trying to accomplish from this is to, is to try and figure, you know, not figure out, but try and document what everyone has gone through. And then also where do we go from here? How do we forge out a new path forward in um, society that involves, you know, truth that involves freedom that, um, involves us arming ourselves with information and with knowledge, because I think for so long we trusted so many people at the top, I myself included to, to give us information that really wasn't, and they didn't have our best interests at heart. And so I think that people are able to put the, put their family, their communities and themselves first. Now it woke them up to do so moving forward. So we're just here to hopefully help empower people, I guess, to live a more free life. And as you've been talking to these people, first of all, that last one that you did with the hospital Holocaust gal, she, what was very helpful about that is I know somebody who had a terrible hospital experience. Um, they lied about, uh, the COVID test to give, so they could give remdesivir. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, it was absolutely in my opinion, medical fraud. And we really, I was trying to help them and we didn't know where to turn. So when I I started to investigate, I was reading that, listening to that particular episode for my friend and your gal said, former feds, never even heard of it, former Mm -hmm. feds. And I went to that website and that looked like a resource at least that you could go 
to find other resources if they couldn't help you directly. Is that so? So there are definite real helpful hints and real activists, real people who are making a difference, which was fantastic. Appreciated that. But I also want to know after you've talked to so many people, not like everybody, and this obviously is the next season, but have you formulated an idea for yourself about what either for you or for everybody would be a good path forward. So like the Catholic, there's one thing, a book that was written called the Benedict option where you just like check out and you start your own thing and you forget about society. And I actually not a fan of that. I would restore the constitution is probably the first thing I would try to do, but like, how do you live in the world and still fulfill your responsibilities or do you just give up on it? Is it over? No, absolutely. You can't give up on it. Um, You know, as a Christian, and that's definitely an underlying tenet of the podcast as well. I don't back down from that whenever I talk to my guests. As a Christian, you know, we live in a fallen world. So it's always going to be a fallen world um, until we move on to eternity. So it's never going to be perfect anyway. Um, but we are to be disciples. We are to go out and we are to to try to make the best of, of our situation. And in turn, you know, point people to Christ, point people to God and seeing the evil and seeing the bad just highlights the good and, and what's waiting for us in in Christ and in God. And so, no, we can't, um, we always have to operate in society. Now, I do think it is time for people to start, you know, making their own path forward, you know, taking, um, things like their children's education and your healthcare and things like that into your own hands. Um, If you are able to be um, an entrepreneur and start your own business that doesn't push certain agendas that, you know, people want more neutral (laughs) businesses. People just want to go eat at a restaurant and not have, you know, um, different agendas pushed down, uh, pushed in their face or things like that. So I do think that there's a balance of it all, right? That we should be going out into the world that we should still um, be doing that, but we should look different than the world when we do that. And we should um, not be afraid to, in certain instances, forge our own path forward so that we can continue to not look like the world when we do go out into the world. And I think that that definitely starts with our family and with our kids and, um, you know, don't be afraid to take that leap and, and homeschool your kids. I'm, you know, I have, a two-year-old and a six-month-old, so I'm not quite there yet. And I'm so I know that <laughs> people are like, "Yeah, Taryn, that's easier said than done." But um, it's not supposed to be easy. Things on in this life are not going to be easy. So you have to. I just interviewed Steve Dace of the Steve Dace Show recently, and he says, "Be un- be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We just have to know that we are not going to be embra- embraced by the world." And we should actually take pride in that, right? We, sh- we shouldn't be like the rest of the world. So get uncomfortable. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Well, a couple of things I want to say here, but just on that last point. Uh, <clears throat> so I was raised Catholic and then I wasn't Catholic for a long time. And now I'm a practicing Catholic, but it's really hard for me to like, totally get my mind around you know, the afterlife mm-hmm. and being Monica in the afterlife. Like, it's very hard for me to do that. I'm like, I, there's like my, I'm sure 
like three quarters of my brain is just math and anything outside of that. I just, it's just not enough room for like uh, <laughs> abstractions beyond that. Well, we're but, not supposed to get it, right? We're not no, I definitely get don't get it, but I try, I try. So however, when, and I was pretty well educated as a kid. And one thing that my parents taught me that I think what kind of got lost in the sauce with the, how the Catholic church had evolved, but what they taught me was to look for opportunities to, like, uh, I think, do the virtue works of mercy, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Like, you had to look for opportunities. So when people, somebody's car broke down or somebody needed to ride home from work, like, I would be like, oh, can I drive you home? And they'd be like, you're so nice. I'm like, oh, I'm not, no, but like, you know, it's an opportunity. And I was just following the instructions. So, uh, and, then, and, uh, and it was, it was great. It was like great training and it was a great way to look positively at the things that you m- might, you know, otherwise look at as a sacrifice. And, and it's in a way it is a little selfish because you're thinking like when you really believe you, you can see it as something that is a good. So you're mm-hmm. like, this is a sacrifice now, but it's um, contributing to a greater good that I respect and you know want to, whether it's for your own salvation, which is a Catholic thing, like you have to do good stuff to mm-hmm. be saved, but or just as being part of that body that's um, you know goodness. So the opera, so you could look at it as an opportunity rather than a sacrifice, I think. Um, and then there's also uh, a friend, a, a gal who used to listen to my show, she probably still does, but I used to talk to her and I actually interviewed her. She was one of just those regular people I said earlier, oh. like I just like to talk to people who are doing something. Yeah. She was a homeschooler. Her name was Jill. Mm-hmm. I have a YouTube video of her. And I said, you know, I would ne- could never homeschool my kids because it's just too hard. I'm not that organized, whatever. And she's like... <laughs> She's like, I homeschool my kids so I can sleep in. I'm like, what? <laughs> but yeah. she was educating them. But it's amazing, like, once you give them the tools that they can do a lot of it on their own. And actually, that is a good way to learn. As a math person, like, the great way to learn math is, to, like, you get a big, fat textbook, and you figure it all out, and then you ask somebody questions when you get stuck. Like, that's a better way for me to learn. And you could do it that way. So I would not be deterred. Some people can make it an easier life. And then you get to do social things um, in a more family way or whatever. I just think it's healthier for kids. Now, I don't know if you intend to like put them in a cookie cutter college. Would they really be well suited to that? I really haven't talked to anybody at that stage. Well, most homeschool kids do thrive in college. And oh, really? a lot of them get into college well before the age of 18 as well, because like you said, they've just, oh, they're it's done. A more, yeah, they're, it's, <laughs> yes. it's like, like a more relaxed schedule. You know, you're not having all of the, you know, going from class <sighs> to class, having all of the ancillary time. All the, like and, mass shooter drills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all, um, it's all specialized too, right? To the kid, it's individualized learning. So yeah, I think that that's one of the silver linings of COVID, right? That showed us that we could, um, that we can homeschool our kids. First of all, it opened our eyes to so many things, school being one of those, and what these kids are being taught is in all schools, just because your kid's in a private school doesn't mean that they aren't being taught CRT and critical race theory and transgender ideology and things like that. We know it's happening in the public schools. I'm here in Florida and, um, it, you know, where we're supposed to be a little bit more uh, sane on those scenarios. And it's still happening in the schools around here in well, the, the public schools. The private schools are all connected through mm-hmm. a lot of the expensive ones are connected through like the independent school thing. So mm-hmm. um, my kids went to different private schools and 
they had like the same things on the same day. And, and a couple of times they let slip, like we got the memo from the independent schools association. I'm like, what, you have an opportunity to distinguish yourself. Yeah. Why would you just, and they do that so that they don't have to distinguish themselves. So they don't have this. So they don't have, cause they get f- filled up. So they don't really need to compete for students and they can just conform and get whatever perks they might get from that. But, uh, in, in, applying my kids to college, which I was like, totally optional. If you want, we can take the money and buy you a farm or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And it must be reverse psychology because my kids are like, I'm going to college. (laughs) My son, to his credit, is like, I'll be a better, you know, I'll be better in the outlands with you, mom, if I'm, you know, a doctor or even a vet. I'm like, that's true. (laughs) You can go be a vet. Uh, But there were some, some of the applications did include sections for homeschooled Mm -hmm. kids. So I I suggest if somebody, if a school has that in their application, it's maybe a school that would be more open to it and more accommodating. Yeah. And a lot of college from what, you know, I've really aren't dug into the homeschool thing, you know, over the past couple of years and um, preparing myself for what's to come with my kids. And a lot of these colleges actually look very favorably upon homeschool kids because they know that they are getting, you know, a high quality education and high quality learning that suits that kid in that learning style. And many of them are ahead and many of them are involved in a lot of extracurricular learning type things because they have so much more time in their day. So if a kid is particularly interested in science, they can, you know, pursue that in their spare time throughout the day. Or if, you know, a kid wants, you know, you see kids get their pilot license and things like that (laughs) because they have the time to do it and, and such. So, um, a lot of colleges really look favorably upon that. So I think that, I think again, COVID was a silver lining and school is just one example of that on how we really got to pull back the blinders and see, what was going on behind the scenes in corporations and schools and whatever. And so now we're like, okay, do we want to fight from the inside out? Do we want to forge our own path? And I think that people can now kind of pick and choose which arenas they want to be on the inside and which ones they want to create their own. And um, I think that people can kind of do a, a hybrid of both, you know, again, just as long as you are not conforming to the world. Well, let me ask you, you said you can, they kind of pulled back the curtain on how corporations uh, operate. Obviously, media is so, there's so much going on there that isn't just bottom line, how no. to make a profit kind of thing, although they would argue that it is, but it definitely is not. But what is your impression now that, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you go, but what do you think is behind all that? Like there was definitely a lockstep. There's definitely pressure. Everybody's going the same direction on this or the majority of people, unless you're actively resisting. Well, you know, is there a coordinated, like a cabal on the top that, is it the World Economic Forum just pushing down instructions or how do you think it's, how, how where's it coming from? Um, you know, on, on the very baseline level with the, with the media, that was one episode I did with, with Emerald Robinson in, in season one, who she's a former White House correspondent now has her own show. Um, and she was one of the first ones talking about the FOIA that they had with the, um, I, I'm not going to quote the correct 
uh, governmental entity, but one of the one of the governmental entities that they basically uncovered that there was a government propaganda campaign behind these shots that they were pushing out to all media, not just the left leaning media, but even Fox and things like that. Um, propaganda and talking points for these shots, and to me, that should have been one of the biggest stories out there. I mean. We all know that the trajectory that the media has gone over, even prior to COVID, over the past several years. But that <laughs> you're no longer living in a, you know, a free society when you have the state, state-imposed media. That's state-imposed media. When you have state-imposed media, you are no longer living in a free society. And you know, it's one thing for. Fox or CNN or all these places to have Pfizer, you know, as their as you know someone that's sponsoring different segments and and sponsoring commercials. That's that's one thing, and that's also not great. But to have the state telling you what you should be saying about the vaccines, that should have been one of the biggest stories last year, and uh, that got swept under the rug because now to go you know go bigger here with the bigger lens and all of this, I can't. You know, my husband and I, we talk about this kind of stuff. We can't really decide where it's all coming from. If there's just one single player in all of this, like the WEF that is controlling all of this, or if there's multiple players in all of this who maybe all have slightly different agendas, but are using the same thing. Yes. That's why I think like the Putin yeah. Biden thing is like Putin is not going to out ISIS as like a CIA op because he's using it as an excuse to go into Syria too. Yeah. So, yeah. They're all just, using, I mean, you don't have to own that. That's my example, but I'm yeah. not putting that on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're all, it's a good example on how I think that there's a lot of different, um, you know, people that, people that, that have <laughs> humanity's great and better interest at heart. And they're all sort of, um, playing off of each other and for their, I mean, cause think about it, right. I mean, at the, to me, all of this comes down to, like you said at the beginning to Satan, to the spirit of the age, whatever you want to call it to, um, you know, the evil at work, but evil is very selfish, right? So I think that most of these people are all really out for their own self-interest. They're utilizing each other's, um, you know, bad things that are that are happening to to further their own personal agendas. And they might overlap a little bit, some of their agendas. Well, I think it's very telling how, I mean, I think you really identified it as that that information isn't actually secret. It's just not a story. And it should be mm -hmm. the story. Like that would be an expose. And the fact that it's not is a testament both to what the true nature of the media and how they have trained us not to believe anything that they don't tell us. And it's so, it's like schizophrenic in that the polls have been showing for years, like, we don't trust Congress, we don't trust the media. Like, it get, gets down to single digits sometimes. But yet, yet for the last few years, yes. for some reason, everybody all of a sudden uh, trusted everything. their lives. The they media their and politicians. Lives. Yeah, yes. it didn't make sense to me. We don't normally do that, right? <laughs> no, and the power, so I had a radio show on the radio, like terrestrial radio in Atlanta, mm -hmm. WSB, and... I was there for eight and a half years, every Saturday. And uh, I would say some pretty out there stuff. Like one time I was filling in during the week and it was the Boston Marathon bombing. And I was like, I can't, I can't, like the story keeps changing in the newspaper. And I had some real, like the Sarnayevs were um, 
in like the uncle was in the CIA, like or seemed like it. Like there was some really screwy stuff. And my boss, my even my producer was just like, "You cannot say that." And I was like, "But I think it's true. Like I can just tell you why I think it's true." My mm-hmm. boss was like, "If you can tell us why you think it's true, and it's not your opinion, like go for it." I was like, "Okay." So I never got fired in eight and a half years. I said almost everything. Like I, I pulled the. <laughs> Like I didn't get into 9-11, except for that, like maybe around my last show, because that could have been a problem. But anyway, so <laughs> so in February 2020, I was talking about the this event 201, which was a precursor to, yeah, if you've heard about it, about mm-hmm. COVID. So I could really kind of call shots as they were coming. And the CDC is in Atlanta. And at the same time, my great boss retired and um a financial sponsor bought the station and just a lot of things happened at once and that was it. Like I was gone. Yeah. But I had a long experience of taking calls. It was a three hour show and I would get calls for eight and a half years. And, and because it was such a long show, I would have to, I would have to do my research, start my premise, like have an hour. It was a half hour with commercials of like, this is what's going on. And the rest of two hours, unless I wanted to do like another 15 hours worth of prep, I had to get calls. And I, I learned how to get the calls by learning how to talk to people about things that they were aware of and that they were emotionally attached to mm-hmm. and that they had formulated an opinion on. So I very quickly, not very quickly, actually took years to really understand the stories that although they were interesting to me, if I were going to really explore something that they didn't already have a handle on, they would not call. They might listen, but they would not call. Mm-hmm. And and I had to allow the week's news, like I was on the same slide as like Rush Limbaugh. So like every day people would listen to Rush and then get in the car on Saturdays and they'd hear me. So I'd have to, and they, they were like, what? We don't need to bomb Iran? I'm like, I don't. Not right now. <laughs> so so there would be so I would have to listen to those the shows. I'd have to listen to Fox. I'd have to, I'd have to understand what people were really thinking. And it really bummed me out because I was like, I have to talk about this for this show, I have to talk about the stories mm-hmm. that are being talked about. And I have to frame it the way they understand it and then bring in my own thing. But it was so limiting and how you could open people's minds to it because, you, because those headlines were often there to obscure the more serious story that nobody even, you know, I would talk about Ukraine in 2014. I was like, yeah. we are conducting a coup in Ukraine right now. And we're trying to get the better of, you know, uh, these Russians speaking. Like I was all over I that. Mean, even <laughs> week after week. And I, I didn't get a single call <laughs> except for what are you a communist? Like, yeah, <laughs> sure. But these, but you know, Candace Owens, for example, like she brought up how the New York times, I believe it was, was talking about in Ukraine, um, you know, in a bad light in years prior. Uh, and then now all of a sudden did a 180 and they're calling they got that out. memo. But the, the media, they are to what you're saying. They are talking about some of these stories. Even now they're starting to, you know, put out there very quietly under the radar, the real data that's behind what's been happening and everything. And I, I think that some of it may be to, you know, for liability reasons, right? So, you know, so there's yes. not issues with false information. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, <laughs> they're, those aren't getting clicks. They're not promoting those stories. People aren't seeing those stories. 
Right. There was a, an article in The Atlantic, which I consider like hot propaganda. It's like mm-hmm. propaganda for people who think that they're above propaganda. So it's like it's like written with just a little bit bigger words. <laughs> um, and But it's all pure propaganda. And there was an article recently about a doctor who said that his uh, cancer that had been in remission, he believes it returned, believed, believes that it returned because of, mm-hmm. I guess it was the booster or whatever. And I will, I'll personally say that my personal belief is that I know people that actually definitely happen to, and I feel like it is must, it's going to be so pervasive that there will be absolutely no denying it. And they have to look like they're not covering up that story by saying, Hey, look, we covered it, you yeah, know, whatever, exactly. five years ago, I didn't see it. Somebody had to send it to me. Yeah. But they definitely, I, I think they have to like throw some stuff out mm-hmm. there to make it to look like they're they're open to everything. And then, of course, I always look at the last line. The last line was, if it's true, it's very rare. Yeah. Like, I, I know four people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think <laughs> we all do. Two. At least two. Yeah. We all do. We all, well, that's the thing. You know, we all see it all unraveling around us, but yet the media is trying to tell us that it's a different story. And we're like, well, you know, <laughs> that's Dude, not what we're seeing in yeah, real life. Yeah. You have to be able to, and they've really drawn a line. Like this may have been one of the purposes of this entire thing was to just make the line between the people who were going to fall in no matter what. And the people who weren't just make that line absolutely stark. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's 20% outside or maybe 40% at the absolute most. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about the people who are, I mean, if you wanted to put in a simple term, skeptical about the vaccine or think this was all like whatever, a government plot, like, Oh, I think it's a very, very large uh, percentage now. And I think that you can draw that conclusion based on the fact that hardly anyone has gotten their children vaccinated with this. I think that that shows you plain and simple that the majority of people have now thought that they, you know, now know and think that this was, you know, collusion on multiple parties standpoint, that this was not out for people's best interest. And most importantly, that it wasn't safe and effective, like we all said, because if people thought it was safe and effective, they would get their children vaccinated with this and and they don't. So I think that that shows you that most people did all of this because they had to and that some people early on did it before they had enough information, right? I think now people have a lot of information and even those that did get vaccinated have either changed their mind or did it because they were coerced. This was one of the biggest, um, biggest <laughs> coercions that we've ever seen. That's interesting because, yes, I, I probably need to do more research. It's hard, though, because I don't believe anything I read. Like, sure. I have to really assess it. And I live in L.A., so mm-hmm. your experience in Florida, like, on the ground, is totally different yeah. from my experience, where I think my son, as far as I know, is the only unvaccinated kid in his class. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and that, to me, is... I, I thought, when this happened, I was like, these... these fancy pants aren't going to risk their, you know, 1.2 children on, (laughs) they all did it. It was Mm -hmm. like, but you don't have any extras. Like, what are you thinking? You know, these are, you know, these are really high, uh, highly tuned machines that you're creating to be the masters of the universe. I can't believe you're going to jack them up with this stuff. Yeah. And that's faith. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I do not want to wrap without hearing about driving disciples, which I don't know anything about, but I know that it's a labor of love. So I want to hear about it. 
Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, it's been such a blessing for God to redirect. <laughs> sounds like you're. Yeah, that's why <laughs> you hear my two-year-old out there yelling daddy. But yeah, it's been such a blessing to, to, for God to kind of put me down the path of, of working with nonprofits now, um, or working with, you know, mission projects because we, the Patriots USA is a hundred percent a mission project. Um, first and foremost that so many Don, Jolly and Brian Festa are heading up that organization. They are helping to represent people that are standing up to these civil rights, um, whether it has to do with COVID and the mandates or, you know, they have several cases about CRT in public schools. Um, they've got transgender cases out there as well. Um, they also, you know, have always been sort of on the vaccine safety um front out there, even prior to COVID too, you know, they have vaccine injuries in their backgrounds with their children and things in themselves. So, um, so that's been wonderful to, to get in touch with those freedom fighters. And then my husband and I started our own ministry, which we were in the, in the works of doing that before, uh, my whole golf world fell apart. (laughs) Uh, before that we, established driving disciples ministries, which my husband is a, he used to play golf professionally now teaches primarily. And so we teamed up with our youth minister at church and we put on a week long camp and people can follow us at driving disciples on Instagram and Facebook. And we put together a week long Bible study and youth golf camp. And we had our first one this summer and it got glowing reviews. We're getting ready to to launch a shop so people can rep Jesus and golf um, all day long. And then um, we're going to be having and expanding to do more uh, Bible study and golf events. Um, I just year. love that kind of thing because as because my oldest son had Down syndrome, mm-hmm. it was, you know, when I look back and it's probably like my only regret as a mother is that um, I just... He absorbs a lot of energy, and yeah. and it wasn't. Well, I thought it was going to be sad. It wasn't sad. It was yeah. joyful. I mean, it was joy- like literally giving me goosebumps. It's just joyful experience. But it was a lot of work. It took a lot of time and focus. Mm-hmm. Like he needed constant supervision, and it's just so. Um, I was always looking for something for the other kids to do because even though they were younger, they could. Be like I could never send uh, the son with Down syndrome to camp ever, even special needs camps. Like I would get mm-hmm. calls like he's gone, and um, yeah. he would yeah. run away. So I would always try something else, and uh, you know I really regret because people would say, "Oh, this is the camp I went to," or "This is you know this is great." And if you know they the other kids will tell your kids stuff they're not ready for or model behavior that is not consistent with your values. And, um, I just, I was such a, so ignorant and because like we move around a lot, like lack of roots is a big problem. Mm -hmm. I think like just not being in the community where you have connections or people say, don't go there, go there. Mm -hmm. Really upsetting to me. Like, so I shouldn't say, I mean, I don't regret much, but like when I look back and if I were to advise people, like you really want to um, assess the character and the motives of people who you're entrusting your children with. And, and I think that, so what you're saying and the fact that is very transparent and people review it and we get to hear you on the podcast so that we really know what you're about. Um, you know, we look you in the eye more or less like that's, it, it really is something of great value. I'm, and my guess is it's totally oversubscribed. 
Yeah. So we, we filled up in our first camp and we'll see what happens with enrollment as we start to add more cities. We did it in Jacksonville and um, we'll see what happens as we add more cities to it next year. But you're right. We're a hundred percent. We put the curriculum right up on our website. So people know, because that was another thing with COVID people didn't know until they sat down and had to do online learning with their kids what their kids what they were taught. learning yeah what they were learning so we want our we want all of our parents to be comfortable with that so we put the curriculum up there plus we send them home each day with with their sheets that they're learning and I send out a daily email telling them what they learned so I hope parents feel comfortable with that you know I gotta tell you what my husband just one quick thing I'm sorry I hate to yeah. interrupt but I do it all the time um so my husband made my son, he took off golf just to relieve, relieve stress. And he did it during COVID because like we were just turning into blobs. Everything was locked mm-hmm. down. And now he's making my younger son play it with him oh, love it. for for one reason and one reason only. And you may be able to guess it because this might be like the the wisdom of golf, but I didn't know it. There's one reason. What's, what's that reason? I mean, I can... Uh, etiquette. Etiquette, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not just golf etiquette, but like being considerate yes. of other people. Like he said, you really are a pariah. Like it is a culture. And it's like, I loved Little League because it was dads and their mm-hmm. sons. Like I love that. Like I would just get choked up when I would see like, yeah. and it's consequences. Like you do it, you, you, you know, there's no, you might get a trophy for showing up, but you're not getting a win. You yeah. know, like <laughs> there are consequences for practicing everything. But now that he's older, my husband just wants him to be in a culture where they respect etiquette and um, mm-hmm. that there is just a, a culture that you need to learn and see the value in it because sometimes you're the one who doesn't want the other guy talking and um, I just love it. So yeah, I, I mean, the core tenets of golf, you know, character, honesty, you have to be honest about your score. It's just you out there keeping track of your score. I mean, it's really very um parallel with life golf is there's so many ups and downs and um, it just really exudes character. And I I hope that what I want to leave people with just by doing that one week of camp, we had middle schoolers and um, you know, the, the character of those middle schoolers that were in our camp, how great these kids were. We didn't have one single issue for a full week with middle school kids at this golf camp. Um, I know that we got very lucky and the good Lord was with us on that. But my point is, is there is so much hope in this next generation that we have coming up and they have a lot of challenges that are put in front of them with social media and the ways that they're growing up in the world right now. But there is so much hope in these kids and they want better. They don't want to be isolated in their rooms playing with video games and on their phones all day. They want not only that interaction and sports and golf and being outside, but they want that fellowship with others. They want to know about Jesus. They want to be to be good and to do good. And so I think it just, if anything, I can tell people have hope because I saw so much hope in these little kids that, that week. Well, that is a fantastic white pill. And I just love to end on the hopeful note. Uh, and for our listeners who just joined, we have been speaking with Taryn Gregson of the Faithful Freedom Podcast and Driving Disciples. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Taryn. And um, 
you know, people can find Faithful Freedom on their favorite podcasting platform, Mm -hmm. lots of video outlets, any place they're trying to go. Driving Disciples, uh, they can find on Instagram and Facebook maybe? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook, Driving Disciples, and um, wethepatriotsusa.org. You can find Faithful Freedom there and everything that they're doing to, to help represent people standing up for their rights. That is fantastic. And you have been listening to Deep Dives with Monica Perez. Thank you so much. And until next time.